Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3.16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Welcome back to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. I'm your host, Melba Toast, and we are getting into another series critiquing a devotional this time by Sarah Young. But this one is different. This one is for our teens. It is titled, Jesus Calling for Teens, 50 Devotionals to Grow in Your Faith. Sarah Young's original book, Jesus Calling, has surpassed 30 million copies sold as of the year 2019. This is one of the most popular devotionals in American evangelicalism today, and its success spurned on other devotionals. And this is where we find the production of our devotional, which I am critiquing during the next couple of episodes. Now, I think it is very important to look at this because we as mothers desire for our children to know the truth. Women who are buying devotionals for their teens may decide to purchase this book, so I desire to help them make a wise decision. That's one of the purposes of this podcast, to help you discern what teachings you take in and how to compare popular books, devotionals, and Bible studies to the teachings found in scripture. So let's start this critique with Sarah Young's introduction. Which, we will, uh, which will give us her purpose for writing this devotional. Quote, Jesus calls us to trust him at all times. Trust him in all circumstances. Trust him with all our heart. Scripture says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, ESV. The Bible is the only perfect word of God without errors. I work hard to keep my devotional writings consistent with the unchanging truths of God's Word. I have written from the perspective of Jesus speaking to help readers feel more personally connected with Him. So the first person singular, I, me, my, mine, always refer to Jesus. You refers to you, the reader. I've included scripture references after each reading, words from the scriptures, some paraphrased, some quoted, are indicated in italics. The devotions in this book are meant to help you trust Jesus more and more. When you're tired, when things are going wrong, and even in your best days, whisper these four short words, I trust you, Jesus. When you do this, you release things into his control. This is a great way to sit close to him and grow in your faith. End quote, page five. So what I'm going to do is go in order through just some of the devotions, quote the main theme of that devotion, and then show in very small part how scripture deals with that theme and is just so much better. So let's dive in, shall we? The first devotion is titled, One of My Days. Quote, I take frustrations and turn them into opportunities to strengthen your faith. I take disappointments and turn them into chances to draw closer to me. 
I take troubles and turn them into opportunities to trust me, in quote, page 12. Now remember, this is supposed to be Jesus speaking. So while this may be true, God's word is, of course, just so much better. It is his very word, his breath, not Sarah Young's idea or her interpretation of Jesus's word. It tells us how Jesus is in authority over all, Matthew 28, 18, Luke 10, 22, even our days. And when things go wrong, even when we are faced with trials, tribulations, persecutions, and all forms of suffering and evil in this world, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5, 4. So, see, in God's word, we not only have the truth that God takes troubles and turns them into opportunities to trust him, but that suffering of all sorts produce endurance, character, and hope. For those he loves, they produce good. Romans eight twenty eight. They are not mere opportunities that can be missed, but actually do something in the life of a believer. And in them, there's no shame because we know that the love of God is poured out into the heart through the Holy Spirit, producing endurance, character, and hope through them. All right, the next devotion is titled Puzzle Pieces. Quote, when you look around at your life, all you can see are the pieces but I see the final picture. I know how all these pieces fit together. I know how to join together all the jagged pieces of hurts and disappointments, plus the smooth pieces of victories and joys. Trust my timing and my ways. Trust me to fit all your pieces together into a wonderful life. End quote, page 14. Well, what does God's word say? God tells us that he is the image of the invisible God, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. God calls his people to Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Isaiah 46, 8-10 So God knows the end from the beginning. God reveals how he works among the nations and directs the hearts of kings, Proverbs 21.1. He controls weather, Psalm 135.7, Matthew 8.26-27. He controls disease, 2 Chronicles 7.13-14, and does all that he has determined to do. This is God working through providence, and not just providence in our teens' lives to make it wonderful, but his providence is at work in the whole earth and among the nations, till one day all his enemies will be a footstool for his feet, Psalm 110.1, and he will create the new heavens and the new earth in peace and glory, Isaiah 65.17. What a better word. <laughs> 
Alright, so the next devotion is titled, Worship Only Me. Quote, Only I am God. Only I deserve your worship. Do not devote yourself, your time, or your attention to the things of this world. Do not let them become idols, false gods. Don't bow down to the idols of this world. They have no power. They can't forgive your sins, love you unconditionally, or take you home to heaven. Only I can do these things. So worship only me. End quote. Page 24. Again, God himself says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Deuteronomy 32:39. He directs us not to turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19:4. So to make idols and worship anything other than God is a sin. We do this. Our teens do this. We place things higher than God and rely on them to give us peace. Entertainment, education, our occupation, our job, our good works, people, money, safety, physical health and well-being, etc. We look to such things as these to provide peace and security instead of the God who has given these in his common grace. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, gives more information regarding this. Now, these things took place as examples for us, uh, these things being the writings of Moses, uh, specifically the records of the Jews' travels through the wilderness, that we might not desire evil as they did, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by servants. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has, has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved... Fleeing from idolatry, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. 1 Corinthians 10, 6-14 Let us not merely stop worshipping these things, but encourage ourselves and our teens to identify these idols, repent of them, and trust in Christ's redeeming work on the cross for them. For he has made a way out of the temptation to worship idols, and that is the gospel, the power to save us from them, and all other sins. Romans 1.16 So not only does scripture tell us not to have idols, but it also proclaims the gospel which saves us from them, something which these devotions are very lacking. The next devotion is titled, Your Secret Mission. Quote, sacrifice is a difficult word to understand, and it's even more difficult to practice. It means giving up what you want for yourself in order to please or help someone else. In your relationship with me, it, gives, it means giving up control of your life to let me show you the way I want you to live. When you sacrifice your own will to mine, seeking to please me, 
that is worship. End quote, page 36. So what does God's word say? Well, God's word clarifies what it means to sacrifice ourselves, that we are to, by the mercies of God, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship, Romans 12.1, to know that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within us, whom we have from God. We are not our own, for we were bought with a price. So we are to glorify God in our body, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5, 1-2, and many, many other scriptures urging us to walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. This all encompasses our daily sacrifice. But where in scripture does Christ tell us to sacrifice or that to sacrifice means to give up control? But he um he does say that if we love him we will keep his commandments, John 14:23. But to keep his commandments is to make a concerted effort to crucify our desires and to obey Christ. This is called self-control. Something we are commonly encouraged to have, Proverbs 16.32, Proverbs 25.28, Titus 1.8, Titus 2.5, etc. We strive to destroy every argument and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. This sacrifice or obedience is for our neighbors because Christ and his commands call us to love our neighbor. He calls us to live like him who humbled himself, sacrificing himself for us. Philippians 2.8 Scripture is all about the ultimate sacrifice through Christ our Savior. He is our example. And because of his sacrifice, we desire to sacrifice for our neighbors out of our love. Next devotion is titled, Working for Me. Quote, you know that in order to please me, you need to spend time with me. But pleasing me isn't just about the things you do with me. It's also about the things you do for me. From the big things like helping the sick, giving to the poor, and being a friend to the friendless, to the everyday things like emptying the dishwasher for your mom, taking out the trash for your dad, and being respectful. Do everything for me. It may seem like you are working for others, but you are really working for me. End quote, page 38. Well, yes, if we love him, we will obey him. John fourteen twenty three. But is it true that we must spend time with him to please him? First, God is very clear about what pleases him. Faith. Without it, it is impossible to please him. So spending time with Sarah Young's Jesus could be spending time with a false Jesus if we do not have faith. First, faith that God exists, and then second, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, Hebrews 11.6. Now we should also address this claim that we do things for Christ. It needs clarification as it can produce an underlying assumption that Christ is in need. That assumption is contrary to scripture, Acts 17.25. Scripture nowhere describes our good works as works done for Christ, but instead we see that whatever we do in word or deed, we are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him, Colossians 3.17. These good works that God prepared for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10, are works that we do in the name of Jesus, an outward working of our inner praise, us giving praise and honor to our Savior, Savior by serving our neighbor. The neighbor is the one in need of these works. They are in need and we help the sick, give the poor, be a friend to the friendless, complete housework and respect parents because Christ has saved us from our sins and clothed us in his righteousness. Galatians 3.27 When we show our faith by our works, James 2.18, they are done in his name. Our good deeds done in faith reflect Christ's work in us, are for our neighbor, not for Christ, who needs nothing, but are done giving thanks to the Father in the name of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Alright, the next devotion is titled Prince of Peace. Quote, I have many names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. But in this messed up world, it's perhaps as Prince of Peace that you need me most. End quote, page 54. She doesn't really go into how we get this peace, but only um, encourages us to remain in it. So where and how has Christ provided peace? Well, Sarah Young, of course, didn't go into um, why our teens can and should have peace. Instead, this devotion is Sarah Young's Jesus telling our teens that they should just have peace. Peace each moment to live out his plan for their life. So how might we direct then our teens to find peace? Peace comes because Christ has reconciled us to the Father. Where once we were enemies of God, Romans 5.10, Christ took our punishment upon himself. Because Christ was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed, Isaiah 53.5. Christ has reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20. It is in this knowledge of the cross and trusting in Christ's sacrifice that brings one peace. Our teens can know that if they have trusted Christ, they have peace with their heavenly Father, because they are sons. God has sent the Spirit of his Son into their hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Galatians 4.6. There's nothing that gives more peace than knowing one is right with God and is then able to call him Abba. God's word tells our teens why we have peace, while Sarah Young's Jesus just tells our teens to, quote, keep walking with him along paths of peace, even in this crazy world, end quote. The next devotion is titled, You Are Safe. Quote, you are mine for all time, beyond time, and into eternity. I will never let go of your hand, and nothing can take you out of my hand. You are completely safe with me, end quote, page 68. Now, I'm going to let Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, speak here. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John six thirty-five to 40 Both God and Christ have promised to keep all those who come to Christ. Nothing can remove them from their hands. But our teen receives more than just safety when trusting in him. They are actually not promised safety. Safety means the condition of being protected from or unlikely to cause danger, risk, or injury. Now on this side of eternity, in this sin-filled world where death reigns, Romans 5.14, safety is most certainly not a promise. But Christ promises eternal life, either after death or upon his return. And he promises to raise them, not only raise them, but keep them, and then raise them up on the last day. The next devotion is titled Rock Solid. Quote, I never change. I'm always the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because I never change, you can always count on me. Friends may move away. You may switch churches or schools. Homes can be destroyed. Sometimes it can feel like your life has been turned completely upside down. When that happens, come to me. I am rock solid. You never have to be afraid because I am always with you and I never change. End quote. Page 74. Again, reminding you that this is a Sarah Young, her writing, but she's using the first person of Jesus as if he's the one saying it. So then I want to look here at what does scripture say and how is it much better? So Hebrews 13, 5-9 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way, or their life, and, in, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. See, the first uh, at first, the writer of Hebrews says not to love idols, specifically money. But at the same time, this can be true of friends and homes, etc., as our teens can put our ho their hope in these things to bring them comfort. It's when they're taken from them that they may feel discouraged or lose hope, feeling their lives are turned upside down. When this happens, our teens can go to scripture and remember the Lord is their helper. They need not fear for what can man or anything in this world bring or do to them. They can look at those who teach them God's word and see how the Lord works in their lives, observing their faith in times of trials and imitating that same faith. In context, our teens can see the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews instructing our teens to be content with what they have because Christ will always be with them. He is their helper. Nothing man does can prevent Christ from keeping and sanctifying those who are his. Why? Because Christ never changes. How does he never change? 
because he's God. But there's more. Then the writer gives a little more instruction not to be led away by false teachings, because to follow false teaching does not strengthen the heart. The grace given to our teens by Christ through the gospel is what will strengthen them. This is why right teaching matters, because it is one of the means that God uses in his grace to strengthen their hearts through times of troubles. I mean, just how much more beautiful is that? The next devotion is titled, Shout It Out. Quote, the devil is like a playground bully. He likes to push around those who are feeling weak. He will shove you with a lie, tell you that you're not good enough. He'll attack you with your secret fears and kick you when you're down. When you start to feel lonely or afraid or worthless, call out my name. Tell me you trust me. Speak out loud if you are in a place where you can do that. The devil will know that you're not alone, that I am by your side fighting for you. End quote, page 78. So let's address this belief that the devil lies to us by telling us we are not good enough. This, in all honesty, is not a lie. In fact, I believe the lie the devil has made most prevalent, especially in the visible American church, is to proclaim that you are good enough. Ask any non-believer if they believe they are good enough to enter heaven, and most will say yes. Now, why do they say yes? Because they believe they have done and will do enough to get into heaven. We in the truth of all things are one, not good as there is no one good but God, Mark 10, 18. And two, we do not meet up to God's standards as if we stumble in just one point in the law, we are guilty of breaking all of it, James 2, 10. This is the truth. The accusation or the charge that the devil brings before the Father as he is the accuser of the brethren, uh, Revelations 12.10, to which the devil would be right, as we would be found guilty of sinning against God's holy standard, therefore making us not good enough. We in our sinful nature love the darkness. We love to believe that we are good enough. This is self-righteousness. But thanks be to God, as there is no condemnation for those found in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Those who in repentance come to the knowledge that they are not good enough and need Christ's righteousness and his sacrifice to be made right with God. 1 John 1.5-10 and 2.1-2 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If our teens 
ever get weighed down in their sins, let us give them something better than to merely quote-unquote call out Jesus's name and have them tell him they trust him. See, this is good, but it is law. Do something. Tell him something. James assures us that we have sin, but we have an advocate, one who is with the Father, in whose rest we can enter because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son, Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, just as we are yet without sin." Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16 And God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. This is the gospel. This is holding fast our confession that we are not good enough but Christ is, and he gives us his perfect righteousness so that we are made right with God. If I tell my children that they are good enough, how will they ever see their sin and depend on Christ? And if I tell this to another Christian, how will they acknowledge their weaknesses and therefore turn to their Heavenly Father and rely on the Holy Spirit for help? Let us be honest, let us be humble and meek, and speak truth about our dependence on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in all and for all things. Especially, let's be like this with our teens. The next devotion is titled, I Set You Free. Quote, I did not come to earth to make you feel guilty. I came to free you from guilt. And I don't like when others use guilt to get you to follow me. I want you to come to me out of love because you want to be in my presence. End quote. Page 80. The gospel is not merely that Christ came to earth to free you from your guilt. Though the result of the gospel does free us from a guilty conscience. Hebrews 10.22 The gospel at first is the proclamation that we are guilty as all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. See, the gospel is a work done by Christ. The result of it is our guilty conscience is cleared. Our love for him and our desire to be in his presence comes from the fact that he first loved us, 1 John 4.19, that in this love he saves us from the wrath of God due to us because of our guilt. Christ takes our sins upon himself and takes the full wrath of God as punishment for our sins, 1 John 4.10. When we grasp this guilt, we can receive the gospel to set us free and clear our consciences, Hebrews 10.19-22. Trusting that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 1-2 
Okay, our last devotion for today is titled, You Are Safe With Me. Quote, you are never separated from me because I will never leave you. When you forget that I am with you, you may feel lonely or afraid. If that happens, say a prayer or whisper my name, Jesus. This will remind you that I am still right beside you. End quote, page 90. Now this is the same as the You Are Safe devotion back on page 68. The Jesus in scripture promises not only never to leave, but will by the power of God keep us. But why recite his name to remind us of this? If our teens have been taught a false Jesus or do not know him at all, how will reciting his name give comfort? It is knowing who he is, the truth of who he is, that brings comfort. In this case, it's the fact that he is truly God in flesh, the God who is true, never changes and cannot lie, that causes us to trust the promises he gives. If our teens are taught a Jesus who is like us, or who is merely a God who grants us our desires, then this is not the same Jesus that saves or has all authority, even over our sufferings, but one that is weak and cannot bring comfort. And this is why I decided to critique this devotional. Is Sarah Young's Jesus the same Jesus we see in scripture? Are these devotions truly able to give comfort? Not if it's a different Jesus Sarah Young is trying to show them. Now, do our teens even need this book? Why grow through a third party claiming to speak for the person you are communicating with? Why not just go to that person and speak with them to hear directly what they want to tell you? And here's another question that I keep thinking about. Would Jesus approve of this devotional? Would he say, yes, Sarah Young accurately handled my words? Would he say that her devotional would help your teens get closer to him and trust him more? Well, I just don't think so. I think he would, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explain to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Luke twenty four forty seven, And that's the issue with her devotions. It undermines the sufficiency of scripture, which even Christ points to as well that we need to know about the Messiah. How does Sarah Young's devotion undermine the sufficiency of scripture? Because of her claims in the introduction that these devotions, quote, are meant to help our teens trust Jesus more and more. Now, by this statement, she is claiming that scripture is not enough to cause our teens to trust God. This is their purpose. They are Sarah Young's words, posed as Christ's words, to bring your teen to faith. Because that is what faith is. Trust. But see, God's word is not like ours or Sarah Young's. It does not merely inspire others or persuade them one way or another. God's word creates, Genesis 1-3. It is the power to save, Romans 1-16. It is alive and powerful, Hebrews 4-12. And it does all that God intends and will not return to him void and will succeed in its purpose, Isaiah 55-11. That includes producing trust in Christ. 
Now that was 11 out of the 50 devotions that I presented to you. Now there were 12 others that I was thinking about including to show how scripture is just so much better. Um, Topics such as rest, thinking right thoughts, saying uplifting words, worry, and Christ being all-knowing, all topics that we can and do glean from scripture. At least 23 out of the 50 devotions are not needed, are weak and superficial to teach our children to trust and love Jesus more. But that's not all. God willing, next week and perhaps the week after that, I will go into the devotions that actually contradict what scripture teaches. We will get quite deep in these episodes for such a small book. So I hope you will join me. And I pray that they will bless you as the learning and contending for the faith and critiquing them has definitely blessed me. But until then, I pray you are diving into scripture with your teens, leading them by example in your own study, walking close to them and showing them Christ from scripture. I pray you are in God's word.